Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in the support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be looking at the courage to wake up. We can't hope to evolve into our future potential without looking at the truth of the present. Yet, waking up to the truth takes courage. With climate change, loss of species, and current lifestyles environmentally unsustainable, our present circumstances can be painful to face. Illusions are dying as the naked truth emerges. We've been a pushy species. Through artificial means, we've pushed the soil to produce more food, the animals to produce more milk and meat, and the ocean to give more fish, and so on. We've pushed so hard and so long, we've pushed ourselves right out of the circle of life, to the point that life may no longer be able to sustain us. The tide of change is upon us. Clearly, we need to look at the present circumstance and use what has not worked as a model for evolving into a better way of being. But where can we find guidance when all the rules are shifting? What will sustain us as we weather planetary change? How can we find the integrity to assist a process that may virtually destroy our old way of being? Our guest this hour has spent much time contemplating the situation and hopefully will have some guidance for us. Kathleen Dean Moore is a philosopher and climate activist, the author or co-author of a dozen books. Until recently, a distinguished professor of philosophy at Oregon State University, her concern for the reeling world led her to leave the industry in order to speak out and write about climate and action. Her new books are Moral Ground and Great Tide Rising and Piano Tide, a novel. 
Her website, riverwalking.com. Kathleen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for the invitation. As a former professor of philosophy, what led you to pursue climate action? Well, when I'm speaking about philosophy, I'm very much interested in justice. And it seems clear to me that climate change is causing the greatest violation of human rights that the planet has ever seen, that we have a great crisis of injustice here. And so the very kinds of questions that I asked myself about about what is right, what is good, what is true, they're all coming to play in this climate crisis. And it seemed to me that um, with the kinds of uh, skills that a philosopher has, I might have something interesting to say about climate change. I also came to this not so much as a philosopher, but as a lover of the natural world and as a grandmother who loves my little babies. And the, uh, the pressure to do something to save a livable world, um, to save the gifts that we've been given. Mm. Oh, exactly what is climate action? What is climate action? Mm-hmm. Well, we all have a responsibility that the circumstances are dire enough that they're calling all hands on deck. And so we all have a responsibility to look at our own abilities, to look at our own uh, passions, and to step out and do what we can to right the ship. So who's, who's putting out the call? Oh, that's part of the problem. There is no captain on this ship. Or I should say that the captain um, of the ship or the captains of the ship are, are leading us towards the rocks. And so the call is coming from the streets. It's, calling from the, it's coming from the churches. It's coming from the uh, scientists. It's coming from people who care about the environment. It's coming from the cities where people are baking uh, and realizing that they are bearing the brunt of the fossil fuel industry's profit-making plans. So it's coming really from all around us. It's not coming from any central figure or from any kind of hierarchical leader. Well, ultimately, though, isn't that where we're moving is towards unity versus a simple leader? The uh, whole notion of a grassroots movement, I think, is quite lovely, where we have all of the, all of these efforts unbelievable thousands and thousands of organizations that are all pushing towards the same goals of, of social justice and environmental wholeness. Uh, I think we're seeing a, a, a wave that is, you know how waves do uh, assemble and they, they, they build on each other and they, they have a way of increasing their power just by the, the accumulation of, of forces. So I think what we're seeing is a, a great tide rising. Mm. You know, these times have been prophesized by most every culture. Doesn't that indicate that the changes are cyclic or predictable? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know that, but I do think that the situation that we are in has not been seen on the planet before. We have, of course, had times of crisis. We've had times where we have, oh, all around the world, um, overgrown our, the capacity of the land to support us. And we've gone through collapse and, and renewal and so forth. But I think this is a different scale. And I think it has a different moral quality to it, too. Uh, perhaps in those former times, uh, times of, of terrible mistakes that led to catastrophe, there wasn't an awareness like there is now that this is the path that people were on. So I think this is a different situation, both in terms of the consequences that we face from our mistakes and the blame that we bear. 
Well, certainly in in what we have is recorded history, but I've I've spoken to geologists and such um, on the show that indicate that the Earth is, renews herself in such a way that we could have come to this point before, virtually destroyed ourselves, and there might not be any sign of it on the surface. Have you heard about that? Tell me more. <laughs> isn't that isn't that it? That's all I know. I just wondered if you knew anything about that. That uh, geologically speaking, we could have been at this place at another time, and um, if it was long enough ago, it would not show on the cur- um, in the on the surface of the planet. Now, I find that pretty fascinating. Well, I think that is fascinating. There is a record, of course, that we are aware of of catastrophic extinctions where where maybe 80-90% of the living beings were destroyed and vanished from the earth. And the earth did find ways to flower again. It did find ways to increase its abundance and its beauty. Um, That didn't mean that it brought all the species along with it, of course. There was evolution of new ways of life, new, new life forms. So in that respect, I, I, do, I agree with you that we are, we are undergoing a cycle that the Earth has seen before. So basically what we're trying to save here is ourselves and the current species. The Earth will eventually renew herself. That is either a marvelously hopeful point of view or a dismal one. I think you're quite right that the earth will go on, it will be beautiful, the seas will still sing, the mountains will still flower, but they may well do it without our loving and appreciative awareness of it. We may Mm -hmm. not be here. Right, right. Yes, it's definitely a pivotal time for sure. You know, there's there's also some indication that we um, enter this place in the galaxy cyclically as a planet, and that some of the uh, global warming is also being experienced on other planets in the solar system as a result of where we are. How much do you think all of this um, turmoil has to do with our mismanagement of resources, and how much of it is based on the sun's relative positioning in the galaxy? I don't believe that we can blame the sun or that we can uh, blame the natural cycles. I think there are, of course, those natural cycles, and they do, of course, affect the the, uh, planetary climate. But what we're seeing now is a a rise in carbon dioxide, and what we're seeing now is a dramatic change that we have to uh, assign, I think, to human culpability. It would appear many are still in denial of our situation. Why do you suppose that is? Oh, you know, that's a really interesting question. Um, the, the, the contemplation of the changes that we have to make in our lifestyle and the very comfort of many of us, I think, causes us not to focus on the future. It causes us to not look back and see the costs of what we have accomplished and doesn't allow us to look forward and see the consequences. Um, so, so maybe it's just fear of change that requires us to um, deny it. Maybe it's the lies that have been fed to us or the silences that have been required of us um, that leads to denial. Maybe, maybe it's the fact that we don't want to acknowledge that, um, that we have gone the wrong direction. Um, that would require a certain kind of honesty that maybe we're not capable of. But most, mostly I think that it's a result of a disinformation campaign that has been spectacularly successful. But aren't we each responsible for seeking the truth regardless of what's in the media? We absolutely are. And not just speaking this truth, but speaking the truth. 
you know, the statistics in the United States are alarming that there are, oh, it's way more than 60, almost 70 percent of people who think that climate change is a serious issue. But of those, fewer than half, three out of 10, even say the words climate change in any given month. So we have a crisis of, of quietude. We have a crisis of, um, of silencing that I think uh, we, we have to find our own voices to counter. It, se- it seems like such a huge problem that the individual would rather just go to sleep to it than be overwhelmed by it, by the magnitude. Those, as you say, that is exactly the, the, the problem that people think they face, but there's a third alternative. Um, there's a, it, an alternative between denying or, or being unaware of it and being swamped by that. And the third alternative, of course, is acting, acting in defense of what you love. Mm. So what we're finding is that the people who, who are taking action, who are joining up with their, their uh, compatriots and, and doing well, what they believe we're in. We're going to have yeah. to speak about action on the other side of a commercial break, but it is time for a short pause. Kathleen and I will be back after this commercial break. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more 
Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Remember, past episodes are available on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our special guest this hour is Kathleen Dean Moore. Her website, riverwalking.com. Kathleen, we were talking about third options. I really like third options, and you brought up action. Would you mind continuing with that thought? Right. You know, when I'm traveling and speaking about the moral urgency of climate action, the question I get more than any other question is, what can one person do? Mm-hmm. And it's often asked in a, in a voice of real despair. And my answer is nothing. One person alone can't make a difference. So the big thing that people have to do is join up with others and form communities of action. Uh, they ask themselves two kinds of questions. What do I love too much to lose? What would I, what would I devote my life to saving? That kind of passion then. Uh, they need to find their organization that is in defense of that. Are you a person who cares most about clean water? Well, then maybe you need to be joining up with people who are working on stopping fraction, uh, fracking in your community. Are you a person who cares about wild animals? Then maybe you belong with the group of people who are uh, rehabilitating habitat. Um, what do you care more about? Then go with those people and organize yourselves into action. So it sounds like you're suggesting that our passion, the thing that we don't want to lose, the thing that we most don't want to lose, actually helps us find our place in the uh, movement, if you will. It helps us find our purpose. Yes, our passion. And then the second element is our gifts. Uh, Robin Kimmerer, who's a uh, an elder uh, in the Potawatomi people, says... Um, if we want to know what our responsibilities on the world are, ask what are our gifts. The uh, sun has the gift of light, so its, uh, its job is to, is to raise the morning. The robins have the beautiful gift of song, so their job is to wake the people. The salmon have the gift of beautiful flesh, and their work then is to feed the people. What is your gift? What are you most able to do? What has been given to you? Uh, as an ability, and that'll help you find your responsibility. So those two together, your gifts and your passion, will lead you towards communities of action, communities of caring. And the beauty about community is one plus one equals a lot more than two. Is that so? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly right. And when you go to a meeting and you're just one person speaking out, people can dismiss you as just a crank. But two people... Maybe not so much. Three people, that might be the beginning of a movement. Synergy is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So so I hate to to ask this question, but at our current rate, I know you've been studying this, how long do we have before the ecosystem collapses? 
Oh, that would depend on which ecosystem, and that would depend on where. That would depend on a great deal of, of um, chance. I don't know the answer to that question. But um, many people think that, uh, well, look around, you know, breathe the air. You know that climate change has already, has already begun. Uh, look at the sacrifice zones. Look at the rates of extinction. I mean, we are plowing forward uh, at extraordinary speed towards the edge of this cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, or many cliffs, where ecosystems, when will ecosystems collapse? Well, they already have all around us. You know, the frog ecosystem in my in my neighborhood is gone. It's underneath mm-hmm. the Kmart parking lot. Ecosystems are collapsing everywhere you look. It's hard to remember that because sometimes we can't remember what it used to be like. But, um, yeah, we're living it. You know, I had a not-so-pleasant experience. Um, we had fires up here. I'm in Colorado. We had a lot of fires, and, and a lot of the smoke uh, really started making the air hard to breathe. Then the air cleared, and seemed like we were okay. And I couldn't smell anything, but I could see a haze, and I just started having horrible asthma. Well, come to find out, all the houses burning in California, the chemical residue from that was blowing into Colorado and affecting the air quality. And it really brought to mind to me how interconnected we are and how much trouble we're in. I think that you raise a very good point. I'm in Oregon, and uh, the fires are making the air very difficult to breathe. People cannot go outside. Um, the sunsets are spectacular. Yeah, that. <laughs> um Right, right. We have no concept of the interconnectedness the, of the consequences. And so perhaps that's why we say, well, it's a forest fire. Forests will grow back. Not thinking about all the other things that are entering the atmosphere. And one of the things that scares me the most about all these forest fires is that we have now destroyed vast areas of carbon-sucking organisms. You know, the most efficient way of getting carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere is the forest. And now not only are those forests burning and increasing the carbon load and the soot load, but they're no longer able to function as filters. So so it's a compounding effect. But it, a lot of the fire, I mean, I know we have climate change going on, and I know that drought and all this stuff is, is making everything go up in flames this year. But also, how about habitat encroachment and the fact that we have not allowed um, the natural cycles of fire? I see that around here all the time. There's beetle kill, dead standing, a fire waiting for a place to happen. And yet, because there's residences around, we prevent the fires from moving. How much does that have to do with it? Um, I I think it's a very great irony, isn't it, that it's our love of those forests. We want to live there. We want to look out our window and see the forest. They they renew us. They they lift our spirits. They actually physiologically make us healthier, and so we want to be with them. But our very presence there makes it harder for them to thrive. It's a sad story, and it's not an uncommon one, that our love leads us to these big mistakes. Mm. Yeah, again, we, we think we have a better idea, right? (laughs) <laughs> yes, human hubris, right? The, the exactly. pride that goes before the fall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is it too late to stop this collapse? I mean, some people that I've spoken to say, ooh, it's like you were saying, it's already upon us. Um, is, is, it, is it the tide rising and we're not going to be able to turn it around? What do you see happening there? It depends on which day of the week you ask me that question. You know, some days I think, no, it's it's over, it's too late. 
that the systems and the cycles and the characteristics of human civilization are going to inexorably lead us to extinction. Other days, I think, you know, those very things, the cleverness of human beings, our ability to work cooperatively, our ability to imagine a different future, and all these experiments and alternative life forms and alternative economies that are happening, truly thrilling, all these all these movements towards global justice and all these um, ways of of calling to account the fossil fuel industry that are happening around, they just lift my spirits and they make me think, you know, there's going to be a lot of suffering, there's going to be a lot of dying, but we can do this. And when we emerge from this planetary crisis, we will emerge wiser and we will emerge with a kind of clarity about our... our um, the consequences of our actions. So, you know, depends what day you ask me. There's both of things, both of those points of view, I think, are, are true. It's interesting how we live in a time when the polarities of viewpoints are coming together. Like you say, one day is one day, one way, and the next day it's the next. How much um, does our focus have to do with which one actually is the outcome? So if we focus on making a difference versus focusing on doom and gloom, do you think that's going to make a difference? Huge. I think that's huge. And the person who is my guide here is Joanna Macy, who says that we do live in frameworks of our own choosing. In other words, our view of the world is something that we we choose and that there are three frames operating now she says one is the business as usual frame everything's going to be fine science can save us technologies will will help us out and the free market is the only way through this so let's just keep doing what we're doing with a great deal of um, energy and everything is going to be all right that seems to me to be a morally impossible point of view because the suffering that that causes is not bearable so she says the second one is the time or the framework of the great unraveling everything is is falling apart ecosystems are collapsing around us we are poisoning ourselves at a rate that is phenomenally stupid and um, there is no way out she says that and that is i think an emotionally impossible place to live so the third is the great turning, as you well know, this notion that here is an opportunity. The collapse of the of the old systems is an opportunity for us to reimagine uh, how we live, what we value, reimagine who we are in relation to the world, and actually create this great imaginative space to make a turning toward a sustainable and just system. So that's the world I think that we need to choose to live in. In for moral reasons, for psychological reasons, um, this kind of creative activity, I think, is what will save us, if anything does, this kind of imagining of something new. You know, imagination in um, shamanic way of looking at things, and also they're seeing some uh, science in this, um, is what actually sets up the matrix at the quantum level for life to form around, for reality to form around. And so if we're imagining the worst, that's what we're creating. Don't you think that imagining the best then sets up a matrix for the best to happen if we do it in mass? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, this imagining the best is is empowering us to actually sit down and do that kind of work. Uh, imagining the worst <laughs> empowers us to sit down and just let it happen all around us. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a terrifying thought too, isn't it? You know, we've 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 lost sight of our own personal power in that regard, haven't we? 
yeah, I'm thinking of Erica Jong, and I won't get this quote exactly right, but she said the angel um, put the earth in my hand, and she said, if we fail now, it will be a failure of the imagination. And I think that's about right. Boy, that sums it up, doesn't it? Really sums it up. So um, when we get to the other side, I'd like to maybe we can get into how that works and how we can work together with imagination to create a better tomorrow. But it is time for another short pause. Kathleen and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So you stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. AVS Media. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. 
And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest tools and information to support the path to enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our very special guest this hour is Kathleen Dean Moore. Her website, riverwalking.com. Kathleen, we were getting into how powerful the imagination is, particularly if we use it as a group. How can we use that to create a better tomorrow? Well, because um, I'm a philosopher, I'm very interested in the evolution of morality. And I think that, that one of the ways that we can use our imagination is to come up with a different way of thinking about what our obligations are to the future. Um, Aldo Leopold, the great ecologist, said, an ethic is not just written down. It evolves in the mind of a thinking community. And so maybe this is what our... our um, mission is or should be is to assemble the thinking community and ask ourselves who are we on this planet ask the big questions you know what is the nature of the world what is our role in it and how then shall we live and come up with a better way of thinking about our obligations you know um we have two kinds of ethics one has to do with an ethic of prohibition what, how how much can I do before somebody stops me? No, don't do this. No, don't, don't, don't do that. And they also have an ethic of affirmation. You know, what do I care about? What do I love? What is beautiful and sustaining um, in my life? And uh, then, given those values, how can I build a life that enhances those? How can I make my life into a work of art that embodies what I most deeply value? This, I think, is the kind of imaginative work that will be foundational to the going forward that we are required to do. You know, what What confuses me is if you look out at our current state of being and the things that people are clinging to and the consumerism and the fast cars that burn lots of oil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the very things we're clinging to are what's making us sick. You know, long before it destroys the planet, it's making us sick as a race. How are we missing this? Well, not only is it making us sick, it's making us sad. Uh, you have study after study that point out that after you've achieved a certain level of, of um, food and shelter, that more money makes you sadder and more material objects make you more confused and desperate than fewer. So we are badly misled uh, by the kind of consumer pressures that we feel. I sometimes wonder, you know, Wilder, whether that's grief work, whether uh, the uh, the absence of what sustains us, the natural world, the community, the family, um, leads us to a kind of grief, and we don't know how to respond to that except to go to the mall and start to buy things to build ourselves up and to fill this emptiness in our lives. Well, that's the message out there in consumer society is if, you know, then you'll be happy. You buy this, then you'll be happy. You achieve that, then you'll be happy. We don't seem to even contemplate the happiness in the moment. Well, that's exactly right. And that is, well, what you say is right. But that message that this will increase your happiness is simply false. I mean, empirically, that is not the case. 
and I think we all have experienced in that our own in our own lives too. When do you feel most happy and free? Uh, when when do you laugh so hard or smile so long that you get aching muscles in your face? Um, when when do you feel sustained by the joy around you? Uh, we need to start paying attention to that and do our own studies of of joy. Well, it's just instinctual, isn't it? I mean, the animals still follow their instincts. We decided to come up with a different way. But if you follow your instincts, it's going to take you where you need to go. Yes, we have we have problematically complicated instincts, don't we? Uh, the legacies from so long ago, in some ways, um, well, I don't know. In some ways, we need to examine our instincts and come up with some sort of decisions about which ones we want to follow and which ones we want to not. How about finding them in the first place? It seems like we're so top-heavy, so lost in our mind, we don't have connection with them. Well, that's, that's another good point. That's right. How can we evolve into a better, more sustainable way of being? What's the first steps there? Oh, that is the question of the hour, isn't it? <laughs> that is the question of the hour. I would say that the first step is to be very, very clear about what sustains us. I mean, we, we have, have, as we, you and I have already talked about, uh, we make mistakes about that. So there's a kind of clarity that we need to achieve in terms of our values. You know, what is it that uh, we need? I mean, truly need, not want, but truly need. Um, how can it be achieved across boundaries and differences and borders? Um, you know, we have so much more than we deserve. It would take seven planets to sustain my lifestyle. And, of course, we don't have seven planets. Um, so perhaps the first step then in going forward is to achieve that kind of clarity. What's going to be the price of such an evolution on a personal level? You know, there's this cartoon that I think is really pretty funny, and I, I, I keep it on my wall. And it has this um, person a person standing in front of a lecture hall and he's pointing to a whole list of things and there's clean air, there's quiet, there's uh, natural beauty, there's fresh food. There are all these valleys that are up there. And he says, these are the things that we will achieve if we can stop fossil fuels and climate change. And one person took torch to the other and says, what will happen if we do all this work? And it turns out that climate change is just a hoax. The point being, of course, that the things that we need to do to stop the plunder of the planet are the very sorts of things that would create the greatest um, increase in our well-being. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like back to the what we're doing is making us sick, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, Kathleen, tell us about the hard questions. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I travel and speak uh, about, as I say, the moral urgency of climate change. And I always get the same sorts of questions. One of them is, how can I act against uh, the fossil fuel-caused um, climate change when I am a user of, of fossil fuels? That's how I get to work. That's how I power my car. That's how I light my li That's how I cook my food. Um, so I am complicit in, in this. And so I have no moral authority to speak out against it. Well... I think that's kind of a con because the fossil fuel industries say that they are 
um, responding to public demand for more and more and more fossil fuels. But in fact, they're working very hard to create it, and they're working very hard to trap us into a a system in which we have no choice but to use more and more fossil fuels. I mean, I um, didn't take a train to work today because there is no train. I didn't take public transportation because there is no public transportation. The fossil fuel industry has been working along with their government cohort to make it so that we don't have options, so we don't have alternative ways to travel and heat our heat but, our, our homes. But we're the ones forth. that quit buying those alternatives because something's more attractive. We're the ones that drive our car because it's more expedient. We're the ones making those choices. Yes, and why did you drive your car? Because you didn't have another way. Why don't you have? Uh, um, why didn't we have electric cars 30 years ago? Because of interference by the fossil fuel industry. Why don't we have public transportation? Because of defunding those um, on the government by governments that are controlled by fossil fuel industry. In the United States, the fossil fuel companies pretty much have the uh, can, the ability, the power to set the policies about about fuel, and they are working very hard to make it difficult to have solar power or hydroelectric. They're working very hard to make sure that we don't have alternatives. So yes, I drive a car. Um, It's an electric car, but I drive it. And yes, I heat my home with natural gas. I would love to do something different, and it angers me that I don't have that freedom. Mm. I'm I'm sitting in a passive solar home um, in the mountains. I'm totally off-grid and solar powered, um, and I have a uh, wood-burning stove for heat. It is possible. Not all of us can make those choices, but I was told to go live what I teach and then teach what I live. How many of us can look for ways to make the changes necessary so it's not working for the, the system? The system had built itself around what we're willing to do and not willing to do. So how can we make those hard choices? It, it encourages me so much to see all the great minds working to answer your questions. Architects trying to redesign cities. Um, the uh, engineers trying to redesign transportation modes. The politicians in California, for example, um, trying to find ways to reduce the amount of pollution in cars. Um, it's not impossible, as you say. And in fact, it's beautiful. Don't you love your life? I absolutely do. I don't think I drive my car, but once or twice a month. There you go. You know, it's possible and it's beautiful. But, you know, there's too many people on the planet to sustain each individual doing that right now. But I think we've got some brilliant minds out there coming up with solutions. I mean, refrigeration, say, for instance. Mm -hmm. A root cellar is a much more economical way of storing a lot of foods. And yet we burn electricity with a refrigerator. You know, in the summer times, I live in a little village um, in Alaska, and there are so many um, ways of living off the grid, which we enjoy, but there's also, and so that's a transformative life, but there's also kind of a social transformation happening up there, and it's a transformation not forward, but perhaps back to um, ancient ways where there's a community garden. You you go to this place, and you work in the garden, and then you take you take what you need, you you bring home the carrots and the potatoes. Um, if you go out fishing and you have more fish than you need, which of course you will because of the great abundance there, you stop by and you and you leave some with your neighbor. Uh, it's it's a lovely lifestyle and it's absolutely working. 
there's well, going to be, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up on this because it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. time for take another commercial break. Kathleen and I will be back shortly, so don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest developments to an evolving world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love suggestions from my listeners. You can email me at info at missionevolution.org to propose a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest is ours, Kathleen Dean Moore. Her website, riverwalking.com. Kathleen, we were talking about in some regards, and I know in Alaska and up in places in Colorado here and various places all throughout the world, people are being drawn to going back to the old ways that actually were more efficient and uh, user-friendly as far as environmental goes um, than what, we're, what we've evolved into today or devolved. <laughs> um, don't you think, or would you speak to, how we can combine all this wonderful new innovative ideas that our people that are trying to create solutions are coming up with, with the old ways it worked quite well for, for generations. I think that's right. We're inventing, we're trying reinventing the old ways. You know, Joanna Macy, once again, the brilliant um, Buddhist eco-philosopher says there's three things that we have to do. The first thing is we have to stop the harm. We have to stand in the way those who destroy more or poison more plow more. The second thing is we need to think of a better way. We need to reimagine how we live. We need to find um, find life ways that work. And the third thing is that we have to reimagine who we are, completely reimagine who we are in relationship to the natural world. And I think you're referring to both, all, all three of those things. Um, when you talk about uh, looking towards other cultures, looking towards other eras to find what has worked for millennia and to um, adapt not only the technologies and the practices, but also I would submit adapting also the um, the worldview, the answer to the basic questions of who we are and how we should live. So we're not separate. We're not individuals. We are members of community who are, who are naturally born to come together in in uh, common effort for the common good. And uh, we are utterly of the earth. We are utterly of the natural world, totally dependent on it and actors in it. Um, I think that this kind of, well, can we call it a revolution? Let's call it an evolution. Um, it is essential. And it's healthier. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a double benefit, really. Because, you know, when you're growing produce locally, using raised bed gardens, rotating crops, not plowing, um, and, you know, organic and good water. The food is so much more vibrant, and you get so much more energy out of it, sans the pollution and the toxins. So it's, it's not like we're suffering here to do this. What's keeping us from it? Right. A lot of people are quite worried about the, the, um, the environmental movement because it, it does privilege in some ways those people who have the ability to do that so one of the jobs i think one of the important things in joanna macy's second uh imperative to find a better way is to make sure that all people have access to this kind of good and healthy food by redesigning the cities by by stopping the the corporate polluters who are are poisoning the children and by giving people the options to live the kind of healthy life that you live in in colorado and i live in alaska um this is this is something that should be shared it's a matter of justice and I and I see it happening. I do. It's like big cities that are that are creating the co- communal gardens or the new buildings going up that have 
patios not that are large enough to have trees and gardens, even in a high rise. Um, I see hope there. Exactly. And and have you been in the Chicago airport lately with that huge garden that they have that just reaches up through the <laughs> atrium? No, it's true that this is a, this is one of the efforts that we're seeing is to imagine not only how an individual of wealth can live a better life, but how all of us can and and how how difficult it is sometimes to do the healthy things when your life is constrained by the the recklessness of the corporations who are you know polluting your air and water and that that needs to stop in order that first step stop the harm needs to happen in order for the second step to happen which is live a better way imagine how to live a better way you know obviously the old ways not old ways not old old ways but the the current ways need to die how can we find the integrity to assist a process that might virtually destroy our old way of being right you know there's people um there's there's this kind of a, a pathology in the, our way of thinking about integrity um, in our duties. That we on the one hand people say, well, I have a great deal of hope that everything is going to be just fine, so I really don't have to do anything. So there's a kind of a uh, a, a foregoing of obligations that's based on hope. And on the other side, there's this same sort of thing that happens on the side of despair. Everything is going to be ruined regardless of what I do, so I don't have any obligations. So either this kind of blinding hope or this blinding despair, I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. But that's a false dichotomy because between these two, the hope and the despair, there's this broad, broad area that is called integrity integrity integer one uh, a matching between what you believe and what you do so that you you live simply because you don't believe in taking more than your fair share and you act lovingly towards the earth because you love it that there's a consistency between what you value and the actions that you do and it's i think even in a world that may be falling apart or even in a world that may save itself without us, that our obligation then is to find this truthful way of living that's true to our own to our own values. Mm. Well, what's the relative importance of science and the arts in this climate struggle we're in? It's a very interesting question, and I live it every day. Scientists, I think, have this, they call it the deficit theory, the idea that if we just, if people just knew, if they knew, then they would take action, if they knew what was happening with climate change, and that the reason we're making so many mistakes is that we have a deficit of knowledge. But that hasn't worked for them, and that they, they're heroic and courageous in telling the truth, and people still act in um, ways that are self-destructive. So I think what we need also is a, a moral imperative, not just scientific knowledge, but a, um, a moral imperative to act in ways that honor what we value. So uh, the point that I would make is that the arts is where this kind of great moral discourse is happening, what is right, what is beautiful, what is true, what is just. Not the scientists who are telling us that. It's the, it's the people in the humanities and the arts and the churches and in the streets and in the families. And so we need this great public discourse about what is, what is right. And this happening in the arts. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing that I care a great deal about is, is 
doing a program on extinction that uses uh, collaboration with a pianist who plays Rachmaninoff. So we've decided that words are not enough. Knowledge is not enough. And we need to turn to the other sources of, of courage and wisdom, which are music and dance and theater um, and comedy. <laughs> to reignite our imaginations, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and yet it's so sad. The humanities, the arts, churches have all been removed from our school system. What impact well, has that had? Well, I think it has been huge. I, um, yeah, yeah, what you say is, is really important. Where is that big moral discourse playing out these days? Where, where are the public forums for moral discourse? And uh, we have a problem of, of locating that in, in contemporary society. Um, I'm, I'm worried, too, about the great sources of wisdom and the attacks on the great sources of wisdom. We have wonderful truth-finding institutions. We have science. We have universities. We have the free press. Um, and each of those, at least in the United States, are under serious attack. So even the truth-telling institutions, I think, need to be bolstered because they, um, they give us what we absolutely depend on. It goes back to find the truth, and the truth will set you free, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and if you suppress the truth, you're going to suppress freedom. Mm -hmm. Don't we as individuals, though, still have the responsibility to get off our thumbs, <laughs> quit staring at our, our tablets and, and cell phones, and look elsewhere? Because it's not going to be spoon-fed to us. It doesn't serve the uh, status quo. We, don't, we not only have the um, obligation, we have the opportunity. What a gift is offered to us to get away from these other sources of, of, of lies and truth and, and find out for ourselves what, what is happening. And it is a time that the truth can't hide if you want to look for it. That's, There's just too much information out there. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Yeah, there's hardly any excuses now for not knowing, except for what I sometimes call invincible ignorance. Invincible ignorance, the idea that, that I refuse, I refuse to learn, I refuse to know what's true. Uh, I'm too comfortable right now, I don't want to be challenged. Mm. Well, what, how painful to open our eyes and see where we are, and yet how empowering. It's true. And also how empowering, but also how joyful, too, to look around and, and what is offered to us, the gifts the world is giving us, and uh, how, what a source of strength the world is, what a model for resilience. Mm, beautifully stated. Well, it's, it's hard to believe. <laughs> this has gone so quickly, but we're already out of time. Kathleen, thank you so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your beautiful work. Thank you for the honor of inviting me. Our guest this hour has been Kathleen Dean Moore, the author of many books, including her latest, Moral Ground and Great Tide Rising. Her website, riverwalking.com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world.
you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like exxon sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.